the humidity 80%. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and today's guest presenter is Car Ha. Good morning, Car. Good morning, Jim. And this morning we're talking about civil service recruitment and a new scheme which will allow undergraduates to make earlier applications for government jobs. Until now, students wanting to join the public service have had to apply in their final year or after completing their studies. But in future, they'll be able to do so in their penultimate year at university and will receive a conditional offer if successful in the recruitment examinations. The change, which aligns more with the private sector, comes amid a staff shortage and a high vacancy rate, with uh, many staff having left the service over the past three years. Is the private sector now proving more attractive? What about job security? Will these relaxed rules help? And what else can be done to attract new talent into the government? After 9.45, we'll get an art critic's take on the reappearance of a giant inflatable yellow duck and friend in the harbour. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message here on our Facebook page. Uh, that's at Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call on 233 Joining us now on the line, we have uh, Andrew Leung, a former Director General of Social Welfare and an international and independent China strategist, and also Roy Ying, uh, co-chair of the Advocacy and Policy Research Committee of the Hong Kong Institute of Human Resource Management. Um, good morning to you both. Uh, perhaps, uh, Andrew Leung, we can start with you. Hello, good morning. Good morning to you. Uh, thanks very much uh, for joining us. So, so um, how much of a help do you think uh, this new scheme, this new change is going to be in attracting uh, undergraduates into the civil service? Well, this is part of um, Hong Kong's uh, battle for talent. Um, as you can see that uh, our ministers are uh, traveling around the world to attract the best talent uh, to the city. Um, in a worldwide um, competition for the best and the brightest because mm -hmm. the world has changed that much and it's no longer dependent on uh, ordinary manpower um, the world is now in uh, the age of the fifth or the sixth industrial revolution so there was a, a lot of um, uh, high technology new way of doing businesses new way uh, to educate um, the future generation of uh, workers and talent, and 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 hence this uh, all-out battle. Now, as to how effective that is, let's not forget that the uh, government, uh, being a former civil servant, you know, experienced the stability, um, uh, the kind of, um, of course, career um, paths uh, in the civil service. And Hong Kong civil service is very different from other uh, governments. Um, admittedly, uh, in recent years, uh, the attractiveness of the civil service um, has gone down a bit with the competition with the private sector. But let's not forget that the private sector uh, is not a, um, a, a, a steel plate. Um, and you, you, can, you can just define it very easily. Again, there are lots of pitfalls and uncertainties in the private sector. And for um, up-and-coming um, graduates or students, 
in the university uh, who look to their future with uh, awe or if concern um, as um, young um, men and young women uh, trying to um, how to seek a career um, in an increasingly competitive field, the stability of the civil service offers a definitive attraction. Um, because that doesn't mean that they will be locked uh, forever in a civil service job. But as the first job, um, it nevertheless offers a great deal of stability, particularly uh, those um, higher up um, in the talent scale. And obviously, for those who seek a career in the civil service, um, of course, they would, um, the civil service would offer the best jobs uh, uh, opening. Um, first of all, they can be um, um, uh, in the administrative service, for example. Now, the administrative service now is very different from the administrative service uh, which I joined about 40, year, 40 or 50 years ago. Um, it was really very, very uh, top of the league. But even now, um, in spite of all the changes, it still offers an attractive career path um, because uh, that could be a stepping stone to political appointment uh, and to higher things in life. And if you seek a career in the civil service, for example, um, in the more technical departments, engineering and various other stuff, again, uh, you'll be um, oh, uh, you, 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 you have many opportunities to um, branch out and to uh, come in contact with all sorts of businesses and um, uh, business models and so on and so forth. And that could be also a stepping stone. Okay, because um, there was a time when so you said... I think that yeah. this is, uh, to say that um, uh, this is not going mm. to be effective, I think this is the point uh, of what is now a game-changing uh, dynamics mm. facing not only Hong Kong but the rest of the world. Interesting what you say because I mean th there was a time where I guess uh, um, a, a career in the civil service could have been seen as a, a job for life I mean I'm sure for, for many uh, civil servants it still is but uh, do you think there's more sort of inclination these days to maybe join the service and then move into the private sector later? Yeah or, or, or further on in the civil mm. service it depends. Mm. Uh, life is, is uh, getting more and more uncertain do forget that when I first joined, uh, it was a job for life because there was a lifetime pension um, and, and, and but it's no longer available. Um, it's no longer a lifetime pension. You, you, you offer a, 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 a kind of a retirement uh, uh, benefit. Uh, it's not for life. Uh, and people are more on contract. So, uh, yeah, yes, it doesn't mean that you, you, you necessarily um, would migrate to the private sector. It just depends on your um, personal ambitions, your personal talent, your personal inclination, your personal interests. There are great people in the civil service, uh, especially under the new um, kind of um, uh, um, arrangements, and people can migrate uh, from, for example, from the discipline service to the top job, as, as um, um, John, John Lee is now. Um, uh, he was a policeman before. Um, but, uh, and then you can see that even if you are an uh, engineer uh, in the, um, or an architect, uh, you can be world famous in, in, in having to design uh, the best archi archi architecture in Hong Kong and making it a worldwide name. Yeah. Or if you are an engineer, 
uh, you can take part in the space program. Um, um, uh, now um, Beijing is, is trying to attack, attract talents in Hong Kong. So there are lots of um, um, uh, the ecosystem is more interconnected uh, and much more wide-ranging. Uh, and the best and the brightest um, have no need to fear. Um, and then a job in the civil service uh, is, is not just um, you know, it's a, a, a tie, uh, tie talents down to a certain career path. Uh, it is one of many, many paths. Okay. Uh, let, let's bring in uh, Roy Ying now. Uh, good morning to you. Hello, Jim. Roy, Roy Ying with the Hong Kong Institute of Human Resources Management. Uh, uh, thanks very much uh, for joining us again. Um, wh what do you think about this new scheme then? Is it going to be a big help in terms of uh, recruitment? Well, first of all, I echo um, Andrew's comment on the attractiveness mm -hmm. of the civil service. Um, I was looking at some numbers. Um, a job, JobsDB uh, did survey um, on students, and uh, the top um, choice for their uh, preferred career is, has always been civil service and uh, the public sector. Uh, if I remember the, the numbers correctly, it was 14%, and uh, the next highest was banking, 8%, and then marketing, 6%. So the attractiveness of civil service has always been there. Mm. Um, but let, let's go back to, um, to how the Institute thinks of this new policy. Um, overall, we, we welcome this new policy. Uh, it uh, somehow puts students in a position to have to plan the career one year earlier. Um, and if the government is able to engage these students um, by the time they receive an offer until they get on board, uh, there's a chance they will be able to make a more, more smooth transition uh, from a student to a civil service. The second point we want to uh, highlight is the government is, is not doing anything different than the private sector. It, you know, the private sector has been recruiting uh, and engaging students early in their uh, academic studies for years. But it may put um, the private sector a little bit of pressure and pushing them to do, to do a bit more in attracting young talent. Um, and finally, we feel that this new policy uh, will attract students who aspire to pursue a career in civil service. But it's not going to take many uh, candidates away from the private sector. So that's, that's not um, likely to happen. Um, so these, these are the, 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 uh, the, the views from the Institute. Mm. Um, thank you for your opinion and hello Andrew and Roy. Um, uh, I would like to ask Roy because I know uh, you are also working very close with the student because you are a senior <laughs> lecturer uh, at the Hansen University of Hong Kong. So I would like to know about what is the student think about this new arrangement? Do they like very happy to this new system or, or they are like, oh no, I, I want to try something new for the first year after graduation? Um, thank you, Carl. I mean, it, this news was only last Thursday. So, um, so I actually did manage to talk to a few students and uh, a number of them uh, raised, I wouldn't say concerns, questions as to, oh, I've got to plan my studies earlier in advance. Um, I was hoping to go overseas for exchange program, but I will have to sit for the CRE exam and, uh, and that will, you know, make my planning a little bit off. Well, these are the technical stuff they, they're worried about, but overall they, they are very excited. Um, my concern is that if um, 
if students are so hung up on these exams, they might lose focus on their academic studies. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, just looking at a, a recent uh, LegCo report on the attractiveness of the civil service. So, so as of uh, uh, last year, the number, uh, total number employed was uh, was slightly down, actually, just over 176,000. Uh, uh, but it also found that um, there'd been uh, quite a big uh, increase in the number numbers uh, resigning from the service, the staff wastage. Uh, and uh, the, those figures were 22% uh, and 36% uh, uh, of staff wastage in 2020 to 21, 21 to 22. Um, why do you think it is that, uh, that more people have been resigning uh, from the service, uh, Roy Ying? Um, from the Institute, we, we took a survey last year. Our name is it's actually quite strange. It's called it's, um, Great Resignation. Um, it's not mm. that great, actually. Mm. Um, the, we found out that um, naturally lots of people uh, migrated overseas um, and that was the main reason because number of people actually dropped in Hong Kong um, so that was the main reason the other reasons that we uh, we found out was because after COVID people were so their lives changed they uh, they're so used to uh, remote work, hybrid work, flexi hours, and uh, when they have to go back to the office, uh, some of the private sectors are more flexible than uh, the government. Uh, uh, so that, that it it may be another another reason why people um, uh, decided to move on. And let's not forget. Um, it's not that difficult to find a job uh, over the last, yeah, you know, yeah, in the last. Sure. Uh, so it, it it puts pressure on the government in retaining talent mm. and uh, controlling the attrition. Mm. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, Hong Kong enjoys a, a pretty healthy um, uh, sort of um, you know job uh, um, employment uh, figure and has done for. For many years, um, and just uh, also though, um, Andrew Lang, just looking at this report, um, it mentions obviously um, uh, retirement and resignation as two reasons for uh, uh, a relatively high vacancy rate in the civil service. It also mentions the um, acceleration, perhaps, of the creation of new posts. Um, which reminds me, I mean, it does take a long time to hire people into the service, doesn't it? I mean, do you think those procedures could be uh, speeded up somewhat, made more efficient? Well, it depends on what kind of jobs. Yeah. Um, well, for example, the, um, the discipline services, for example, in, in the recent recruitment drive, um, has made the process uh, much simpler uh, and also focusing on the essentials uh, rather than tying down on um, the old type of criteria and more, make it more open to maybe um, um, the, the, the female gender, for example, uh, for even disciplined uh, uh, jobs and, 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 um, and also mindful uh, of the differences uh, of their physical um, uh, capacities and so on and so forth. But as far as the, um, so each discipline has got their own specific, specific requirements. Now, coming back to the administrative service, which um, uh, the AO grade, which has suffered, uh, of course, a, a quite a significant um, uh, train uh, in talent, 
I remember when I first joined um, in 1973, I think, 71 or 73, I can't remember. Um, it, it was, there were a thousand candidates, and only, according to that time, only two or three were chosen. So it's extremely competitive. So I, I went through three uh, competitive exams, the written exam, first interview, second interview, final interview, final interview. Um, there was a, even a psychologist sitting at the back. Um, the person who interviewed me, chairman of the board, is, is Trevor Bedford, who mm-hmm. eventually uh, went to the private sector and became the top boss in, uh, in, in, in Hong Kong land. Um, so th- those were the, the, the days. But, but over the time, um, the process has been simplified. But even in the administrative service now, it's still very competitive because it's very high, highly paid. Um, so um, it, it, it really depends. And as for the number... Uh, of post, um, I don't think that the top talent would, would care about numbers uh, because they, if they, you want the best, um, then you, you have a, a, a pretty good chance uh, of, of making it. And indeed, um, the civil service is no barrier for the top talent. As I said, there is a migration of you know, talents everywhere. Um, so I think that, uh, yes, this report highlights the need to simplify procedures, uh, make the uh, the job uh, specifications and the attractiveness of the jobs um, um, more open, more accessible, and and to uh, the talent pool uh, in universities and in the society. And hence, as far as civil service is concerned, the civil service college uh, will is, is, is has been established. Um, Again, uh, they, they, they attract um, lecturers and, and, and full-time or part-time or speakers uh, so as to give um, members of the civil service, regardless of discipline, um, a better view of Hong Kong's uh, dynamics, uh, its economy, its uh, finance, um, its politics, uh, its constitutional position. Um, and its integration with the Greater Bay Area, with the motherland, with the world, and how the world is changing. So I think we need all that, not only for the civil service, uh, but for the private sector. Now, as far as this kind of um, 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 uh, offer of a, a third-year student uh, to get a job, uh, a conditional offer, now I think that there's been a long, long practice in the private sector. I still remember... Um, in my, in my days, um, I, I was sent to the Harvard uh, Business School to do a sabbatical. And at that time, uh, my, colleague, my, colleague, uh, uh, my, my fellow students in Harvard, um, you know, they know that in their, towards the, before the final year, all the top guys, you know, from, you know, from McKinsey, uh, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, uh, would come to the, to, the, to the college campus to seek talent. And the same applies to Hong Kong. Um, even the, at the moment, uh, even though it's final year, uh, but that, that practice uh, also applies to the private sector. For example, I know that for a fact that um, and, 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 you know, big companies, traditional big business companies like Ms. Jardine or HSBC, you know, have similar uh, kind of um, uh, arrangements. Um, the, the whole thing comes to uh, a talent quest. It's not just Hong Kong. It's not just the rate of migration. It's not just the people, um, you know, sort of finding uh, other a- avenues. 
there's a complete change in uh, lifestyle, complete change in how we manage our own life and, and career. Um, so that makes the, the whole situation rather fluid. And the offer, uh, early offer, conditional offer, at least this would give people an anchor. Uh, I, I revert back to the, my, 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 my early remarks about young, you know, young men and young women. What are they worried about in the, in the beginning? Of course, they, they know that this, they, they are not familiar with the, with, with the job market. They're not familiar with the outside world, that they have all been in the, in the, in the, in the education institution um, uh, until now. And, they, and they, there was a fear. There was an, a concern. And then uh, a job a conditional offer in the civil service. Um, would stabilize things, particularly you give them a year to plan so they can plan around uh, and how did they raise a family, how they want to buy a, a flat, um, how are they going to um, uh, lay down groundwork for the future development. All this could be, could be planned uh, in advance. Okay. So I think that there is an attractiveness um, in the civil service uh, to lower the criteria to the, to the third year. After all, it's a conditional offer. Okay. Okay. Yes, uh, and except from, for example, speeding up the recruitment uh, procedure, do you think the government can do something to uh, keep the talent in the pool or like offering something like extra training, new um, system to to them to get a higher position in the government, this kind of thing? Should we throw that one to Roy Ying first? Hello, Roy Ying. Oh, um, yeah. oh hi. Um, are you... Uh, uh, Carr, you suppo- I suppose you are referring to uh, the government's effort in uh, retaining existing yeah. the pool of civil service, yeah. correct? Keeping the people um, like, inside mm. inside the government. I um, I I think the um, the private sector has been able to target um, uh, ex-government civil servants, um, not just on the pay, because when you move along the uh, career, um, civil service pay is very attractive at entry level. But when you move up the ladder, the mm. middle management, top management, the private sector's pay and compensation starts to catch up and sometimes exceed. And, uh, and in addition to, um, to pay and benefit, the private sector has been able to offer uh, flexible working hours, mm. a different corporate culture, um, um, the uh, different, uh, uh, the preferred uh, employer branding. Um, these are what uh, people look for these days. If the government wants to retain talent, um, I, I hate to use the word marketing, but if you look at employees as their customers, um, shouldn't the employers try to give them what they want and so that they would retain in the organization. Um, so these are my suggestions. You mentioned uh, a pay there and the, 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 the fact that the Hong Kong Civil Service is very well paid, particularly at the entry level. Um, uh, 
as we know, um, every year there is a pay trend survey of trends in the private sector, which is one of the factors in setting the civil service pay adjustment. Um, last year, I think it was 2.5% across the board, which was um, not exactly what the uh, pay trend survey had recommended. Uh, this time around, um, uh, the, the unions are asking for 5.1% uh, across the board. Uh, um, do you think uh, it, would be, it, it would be wise for the government to sort of, um, you know, uh, bump up civil service pay a bit more this time in order to, uh, you know, attract more recruits? Or, or, is it, or is it already at a reasonable level? I mean, I ask this as a civil servant myself, so I better, I better, <laughs> I better declare an interest in this, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe what, I can come uh, on, I think uh, you, you, you know, on that Andrew, one. Andrew, yes. Uh, because civil service pay is decided by a, um, a well-established mechanism. Mm. Um, and first of all, it's based on a pay trend survey. I, I, I speak with uh, personal experience because the, before I became an AO, uh, I, I was in the pay investigation unit. <laughs> uh, I looked at private sector pay at the time, even looking at different jobs, even laborers' jobs. Um, so looking at how they're paid, the conditions, um, and then, of course, compare with the private sector is not necessarily on par with the private sector because the civil service has got different attractions. At that time, there was a, you know, the possibility of a lifetime pension. So things are changing all the time. The point I'm trying to make is that, um, apart from pay, uh, the civil service must uh, gear itself to offering um, a, 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 a greater attraction in terms of uh, the kind of exposure, uh, the kind of um, uh, maybe um, opportunities to do different things. Uh, and that's precisely uh, the, uh, one of the problems mm. facing the civil service, particularly in the administrative grade. Mm. At, um, in my time, you know, we, we were really uh, given a free hand because it was colonial government. Um, you know, sort of the, uh, we were dropped down from a helicopter to a very high level uh, jobs uh, in different government departments. Okay. So I, I went through a great variety of jobs. Mm. I was dropped down, well, at that time I wasn't an administrative officer, but I, uh, uh, you know, I first started my job as, 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 as in, in, in the agriculture and fisheries department. Okay, That's Andrew, come to think of it. Andrew Lentz, Andrew, on, and, different, different yeah. uh, uh, jobs would, would, would uh, but I think nowadays there's a perception that in the administrative grade that their hands are tied, yeah. uh, and then people fear uh, that they can make mistakes. Okay. That is a very, very serious problem. Andrew Lang, sorry, we're going to have to uh, interrupt you there um, okay. because we've got to take a short break for a news summary and a couple of announcements. We'll pick up on that point uh, as soon as we come back. Um, stay with us. Um, we've got uh, a quick look at the weather, uh, mainly cloudy with a few showers today, and the outlook is for uh, more showers in the next couple of days. It's currently 30 degrees, humidity 76%, and the thunderstorm warning will remain in effect until uh, 10.45 today. New summary with Ben Che. Police say they detained more than 20 people last night for breaching the peace and public order offences. They said they detained 23 people, 11 males and 12 females between the ages of 20 and 74. They said they were taken to the police station but were later released. However, police said they arrested one 53-year-old female for obstructing a police officer. 
The hospital authority says it has given 45 conditional offers to medical students or practicing doctors in Australia. It said its two-day recruitment event in Sydney last week attracted more than 200 participants. And Saudi Arabia has announced a further deep cut to its oil output as part of a broader deal by OPEC and its partner nations to reduce supply. Riyadh said it would cut output in July by 10%, its biggest reduction in years. I'll have more news at 10. Results of the primary one central allocation will be sent to parents by post using door-to-door delivery service. Parents may also receive the results via SMS or through the e-platform. If you made your choices of schools on or before February 5th, you will receive the Primary One registration form on June 7th or 8th. Follow the instructions to register your child with the allocated school. If you have not received the form by June 9th, please call the Education Bureau at 2832-7700. There are reasons to be happy everywhere you go in Hong Kong. Enjoy local and global cuisines and have fun along the way. Get immersed in the world of light, shows and carnivals. Joyful moments for all. Want to explore special bazaars? They are just around the corner. Pop culture? Victoria Harbour is our stage. Happiness is all around you. Come and join us. Taste the joy, share the fun. Happy Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And welcome to uh, back to uh, back chat with Kaha and me, Jim Gould. And this morning, in our main topic, we're talking about uh, civil service uh, recruitment in an increasingly uh, competitive uh, labour market. Um, we have with us uh, Andrew Leung, former Director General of Social Welfare and an international and independent China strategist, and Roy Ying, co-chair of the Advocacy and Policy Research Committee at the Hong Kong Institute of Human Resources Management. We're also uh, now joined by uh, John Jair, who's executive director of uh, Hong Kong Unison, an organization which uh, works with ethnic minorities. Uh, just before we speak to uh, uh, Dr. Jair, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, hear again from Andrew Leung. Um, I sort of had to cut you off a little bit earlier. No, 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 You're making okay. a point about the way the civil service operates and the, and the AO uh, system, administrative officer system, and so on. Yeah. Well, I think apart from pay uh, and opportunities, uh, there is also a need for uh, life-work balance, mm-hmm. especially for um, um, uh, the, the, the female uh, members of the workforce. I mean, uh, if they get married, they have a, a, a child, and, and then some of them are, are, are not living with their parents, or their parents have got some of their engagements, and how to look after the child. And then you, you hire a full-time um, a ca- a carer for the children. It could be very expensive. Um, and then nowadays, um, you can look at some of the modern offices, uh, of course not necessarily in Hong Kong where land is so expensive. They have even nurseries in the workplace. Um, they have, um, of course, apart from caring for their children, uh, there are opportunities for workouts, you know, sort of a gym, um, a cafeteria, um, where, pe- where co-workers can mingle. Um, so, and, and of course, the uh, uh, kind of off-work opportunities, volunteering programs that tie the staff together, um, so uh, and opportunities for um, various other uh, jobs uh, through, uh, or, or part-time assignments um, and sabbaticals uh, for career development. So all these elements 
uh, would make for the attractiveness of any job, regardless of, of the discipline. Mm, okay, all right, thanks. Uh, uh, Dr. Jia, good morning to you. Good morning. John Jia, Executive Director of Hong Kong Unison. So we, we were talking earlier about um, you know, the Hong Kong Civil Service, uh, well-paid, uh, a good degree of job security and so on. I mean, um, how attractive uh, is working for the government, the idea of it, among um, uh, you know, uh, your ethnic minority clients? Uh, I'm happy that uh, we're, we're talking about this topic particularly. Uh, just now, Andrew, uh, talk about work-life balance. Mm -hmm. the, the, the term is work-life balance. So start with work. Mm -hmm. If there's no work, there's no balance. Right. And, and apparently, when we are talking about ethnic minorities in Hong Kong, uh, the, um, what the civil service is doing seems to be um, a really early com uh, competition with the business world. And it's a good thing, except that uh, somewhat um, ethnic minorities youth have been uh, ignored in this uh, package. They've been uh, more or less entirely left out. Mm. Uh, so, sorry, left out how? In what way? Well, the thing is, if they haven't announced any changes in terms of uh, the stringent requirements uh, um, moving into the uh, civil service, like uh, Chinese written exam, uh, or written, uh, or you know, interview, and so on, uh, they have to, uh, I think, um, refocus on the um, advantage of having um, you know ethnic minorities working in the government rather than just uh, having very stringent requirement. Uh, if if they if they don't relax those relaxations, and I think. Um, uh, many ethnic minorities in Hong Kong would not be qualified into getting into to the uh, government. Mm. So are ethnic minorities uh, underrepresented then in the civil service at the moment? Uh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, if we uh, say uh, Hong Kong has 4% uh, of ethnic minority, then I doubt it, uh, whether we have 4% in the government. Mm. So uh, it's severely uh, underrepresented. Mm. So, so, so you would like to see language entry requirements relaxed as an initial measure, or what? Well, I think yeah. some um, government departments, uh, such as police force, immigration, correctional services, they do need uh, different uh, ethnic minorities to work, you know, in the teams. And uh, without uh, ethnic minorities, um, you know, you know, is is well, I, I can just see how difficult it is to really function well. Uh, let's let's say um, uh, correctional services as an example. Uh, we have over 80 or even 100 uh, different uh, nationalities. Uh, people committed crimes in Hong Kong, and they're currently been in prison. So how could they communicate effectively without the help of uh, different um, ethnic uh, minority groups in Hong Kong? Mm. Okay. So uh, I would like to ask this question to Roy or Andrew. So if just like what John said about the language requirement, if the government is even like lower the language requirements for the for the for the student or for the people who want to join the government, so what will it affect the the real like compact com, uh, the the candidate? Roy first. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. From my um, from my end at the um, university, what we're seeing is that the private sector. Um, is has now been uh, more open to ethnic minority uh, candidates. I, I see that um, uh, a lot more ethnic minority students are able to 
receive interviews and offers as manager trainees uh, from big corporations. That hasn't that hadn't really happened a, lo- a whole lot uh, a few years back. And so I, I do think the private sector are now seeing that the government is is in the market competing for talent, and uh, and the private sector is now having to open the doors a little bit wider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were talking earlier as well about how the government is uh, like scouring the world. You know, the hospital authorities being in Australia uh, uh, looking for looking for staff, and uh, yeah, and to UK earlier. Um, do, do you think, um, Roy Ying, that you know the civil service should be uh, like you know opening itself to more recruitment from overseas if necessary? Well, from I mean, at, at least from an employee's point of view. What is the point of um, hiring a good candidate? I mean, if if the person is able to do the job, is qualified, does it really matter where they come from, where they graduate from? Um, I would argue if anybody who can do the job should get the job. And I do think the government is doing a lot more now. Um, I'm actually right now in Vancouver. I, I know the government is... Um, is having exams in, in, in places like Vancouver, um, uh, Toronto, and, and I know they, they're opening up a, you know, testing centers in Shanghai and now in Beijing. So they are uh, recruiting from um, other places. Of course, their main, main focus is still on Hong Kong people. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think it's, uh, you want top talent. It mm-hmm. doesn't really matter. Um, doesn't matter what, what ethnic might they, they come from. So I, I think that, that's my point. Well, I, I think that um, apart from um, uh, filling posts um, and getting the people you want, there is an added uh, imperative for Hong Kong as an international city uh, to recruit um, around the world uh, for the best talent. It doesn't necessarily mean that the talent from outside is necessarily better than those in Hong Kong, but at least you widen the pool, and then at the end of the day, um, it, it shouldn't be a one-size-fits-all, as with the language requirement. Um, it shouldn't be just lowering or, or, or maintaining uh, for all jobs, regardless of the, the job's content or the job's requirements. So you have a, a flexible uh, language policy. In the same way, for recruitment, a Hong Kong um, a position as an international city, particularly this international position is increasingly more important um, with our integration with the Greater Bay Area, uh, with the motherlands opening up to the whole world, and Hong Kong is being seen as the, the key leverage. Um, so that's why we should attract talents from around the world. Um, now, I think that this um, a recruitment drive uh, overseas should be institutionalized. Uh, rather than just being a one-off because there are not enough jobs in Hong Kong. It's much more than that. Uh, It's to make Hong Kong uh, long-term a much more attractive city. It's not just the talent. It's the culture. It's the different personalities. uh, It's different lifestyle that that make Hong Kong uh, vibrate, as it were, uh, as a truly international magnet. Um, So the more international um, the kind of manpower... Uh, ecology becomes the more attractive Hong Kong would be. Hmm. Yeah, okay. I echo what Andrew said. I mean, I grew up in Vancouver, I went to UBC, and uh, a company called Johnny Matheson recruited me when I was year three. 
um, um, to work in Hong Kong as managing trainee. I mean, if they didn't come to the campus for recruitment, I would, I would probably not consider going back to Hong Kong for my career. So, I mean, that, that's, I mean, the government is just doing what the private sector has been doing for, well, what was it, 1994, for years, for decades. Mm. Mm, okay. okay. Uh, uh, just uh, yeah, we're just, just coming back to to Hong Kong and the situation here. Uh, uh, Dr. John Jia, apart from uh, uh, considerations about language requirements, um, um, any other steps do you think that the administration ought to be taking in order to attract more ethnic minority candidates? Well, I I, I like the idea of uh, flexibility. Just now, uh, I think Andrew mentioned. I, I think um, if we look at language competence, definitely uh, ethnic minorities, youth in Hong Kong, they do have that kind of competence. Except that we're looking at the wrong thing when when the civil service was uh, really focusing o only on Chinese. We should be looking more for the strengths of these uh, youth rather than the weaknesses. So uh, if there are different languages uh, uh, which are important, then we should be really utilizing uh, the, the strengths. Um, right now, what I see is that um, ethnic minority youth are really the untapped resources in Hong Kong. And a great many of them uh, uh, told me that they, they would love to go to Greater China and, and, and uh, Greater uh, Bay Area and surf there. But uh, if we are that um, you know, stringent and restrictive, then we, if we're not opening up, then uh, how, how can they serve the, uh, the rest of the uh, communities? Okay. All right. Well, uh, a lot to think about there. Um, um, thank you very much uh, to uh, all three of our guests uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. That was uh, Dr. John Jair, Executive Director of uh, Hong Kong Unison. Uh, we also heard from uh, Roy Ying, uh, Co-Chair of the Advocacy and Policy Research Committee at the Hong Kong Institute of Human Resources Management. And thanks very much to Andrew Leung, former Director General of Social Welfare and an independent... Uh, so, international and independent China strategist. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hello, audience of RTHK. I'm Po Chen, the financial secretary. This year marks the 95th anniversary of RTHK. I wish RTHK every success in starting a new chapter for public service broadcasting. 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 Stay tuned, Stay tuned with Hong Kong. And for the last part of this morning's programme, we're turning our attention to something uh, completely different, an entirely different topic. And uh, this is... Uh, the, um, well, soon-to-be reappearance of uh, a very large uh, inflatable yellow duck in the harbour. Um, this time around, there's going to be uh, not one but two of them. Um, the, the rubber duck was last seen uh, 10 years ago in 2013. Um, uh, to talk about this uh, and the artistic uh, merits thereof, we have with us uh, on the line now Enid Choi, who's an arts editor of the South China Morning Post. Enid, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, thank, thanks very much uh, for joining us. Uh, hard to believe, actually, it was 10 years ago that uh, the last time the duck was here. Uh, 10 years know, have passed since flies, then. And time right? has do, you, do, do you both remember it? Yes, yes right. I that's, remember it. That's, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it's generated a lot of uh, excitement again this time around. What, what, what's your take on it? Well, I mean, the arrival of double ducks 
is um, obviously all part of the campaign to make Hong Kong happy again, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and um, in fact, it's not just two double ducks. I mean, sorry, it's not just the two ducks sitting in the harbour from June 10th. There will be, for example, 5,000 rubber ducks. What? 5,000? Um, 5,000 rubber ducks. <laughs> in defiance of the government's plastic reduction campaign, obviously, that will be laid out at the feet of the Big Buddha on Lantau Island as some kind of bath-themed offering. And the Admiralty MTR station um, will be covered in duck decorations as well. So all in all, Hong Kong will be properly, uh, sorry, immersed in ducks, um, which goes along with the supporting organization, the Hong Kong Tourism Board's own Happy Hong Kong campaign, a campaign aimed at lifting the spirits of Hong Kongers after four really hard years. Mm. Mm. Yeah, only by listening, like the ducks will come back to Hong Kong and make me like very excited already. Because like okay. last last time, like ten years ago, when I was a, stu- a student, and and I, I remember the things like I went to TST, Team South Australia, to mm-hmm. like all. Look up, look at it, and then I like, take a lot of photos. I don't actually remember if I still have the photo anyway. So, and I also know about like this time we will have the parade, right? The duck. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What is that about? Um, uh, I haven't actually looked. Sorry, looked up the details of the parade, but um, there'll be actually quite a few events around mm. town, including um, also a side exhibition. Uh, I think sponsored by Henderson Land and also a lot of merchandise that will be sold, including um, uh, like ducks made of wood and so on. And part of the proceeds uh, mm. will be given to charity. I'm curious, though, Carl, uh, whether you feel the same way this year about the ducks? Yes, <laughs> I believe I will, because like I, I will try to even ask my friend who I went to see the duck like 10 years before to go together. <laughs> Aha, okay. Because what I find really um, interesting um, about this whole exercise is the very diverse views um, on on the ducks, which which, which, um, not not a lot of people have seen yet because they're they're going to be officially unveiled on the 10th. But um, Mm. like with so many things in in, in the world now, the the, the opinions are very divided. And um, and that's, I mean, people often ask me, is how can this be art, right? I mean, to me, an, a cultural, um, a cultural icon that that creates debate is, um, is you know, it's interesting art. And um, I did a pop, um, uh, a, a, a box poll among friends um, this past week, and some friends said exactly what you said: that it doesn't cost us any money, and it brings us happiness. So. No, why not? Yeah. And so, um, yeah. other friends are a little bit more cynical, perhaps. And um, given the dire news um, in the world today and in Hong Kong recently, uh, when the whole city um, is in shock um, after hearing the double murders in Hollywood Plaza last week, mm. um, so some people see the ducks as the total opposite of reality mm. and uh, another effort to kind of lull. Uh, uh, members of the public into some kind of false comfort and voluntary amnesia. Um, in fact, I mean, the, the artist himself said something um, 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 along that line, saying, Double Duck 
um, emphasizes friendship and getting connected mm. uh, can open your eyes, back up your soul. It's not about looking into the past, but mm. enjoying the moment together. He said. Mm. This this was the Dutch artist uh, Florentine Hoffman, right? The Dutch artist Florentine Hoffman, yes. And the Dutch, I mean, I, I looked him up, um, and um, he has made other things too. He has made a lot of other giant animals. Uh, like there's a famous one called the hip, hippopotamus, um, so a hippo floating in the Thames um, mm. in London. There was a giant moon rabbit in mm. Taiwan, um, mm. and um, and so the, these ducks are going to be 18 meters tall. Mm. And uh, this is something else that the artist said: they are so big because they can be levelers. Everyone is equally small in front of them. You know, CEOs or you know, whatever, young students. You know, they're all made tiny, and of course, I mean, to me, I mean, the scale also means that they are spectacles that cannot be missed, and um, can uh, perhaps promote sales of the merchandise. Um, the company, um, I should point out that the company behind all this is a Hong Kong company called. All rights reserved or ARL, mm -hmm. the independent lifestyle studio founded by S.K. Lam, um, who was behind the Ducks' first visit in 2013, and also uh, many other uh, um, global campaigns like the international tours of the giant inflatable cartoon character designed by Cause, the American artist. So that cartoon character, you may remember, I think it came in uh, a few years ago. Uh, again floating in Victoria Harbour. So that cartoon character called Companion, um, it looks a bit like Mickey Mouse, but with crosses for eyes. Oh. So, you know, crosses for eyes, so it's, you know, it's suggesting it's a dead mouse. But mm. everything, even a dead mouse, is made more, I suppose, palatable and sellable uh, when rendered in cartoon form. So in the same logic, I think that that's why um, increasingly Hong Kong's public announcements are always packaged as cartoon, uh, in cartoon form, as cartoon characters. Mm. As I wrote in a column earlier in this year mm. called Enough of the Cute. And so anyway, sorry, back to the ducks. Um, yeah. um, uh, it's have, funny, I mean, because have, is yeah, it have, art? Have Do they, you think it's have art? They become a cultural, have they become a cultural icon? Um, I mean, a lot of people don't think it's art. I mean, mm. a friend was saying, it's, this is just double Dutch. Uh, no offense mm. to the artist, yeah. French nationality. Um, but I mean, I guess it's most basic. It's a, well, it's a sculpture mm. or a mm. pair of sculptures, mm -hmm. 3D renderings of a pair of ducklings. Um, it's public art, art made uh, for a specific public site. Um, the artist can be seen as a descendant of Dada and, and pop art. I mean, think Marcel Duchamp with his Urino and Andy Warhol and um, Hoffman's equivalent of the you know, daily object uh, turned into art, the soup cans of Andy Warhol are the giant cartoon animals. And, um, and he has also said, Hoffman, that he wants his sculptures to be gathering points so that people can gather around them, I mean, legally, no doubt, um, mm. in the real world, and not just virtually, so that in that sense, he's making so-called relational art as well, where art is the catalyst of social interaction. And um, the fact that the ducks, are, we are told, are more or less empty of meanings um, means that they are open to interpretations. 
Mm. Um, and, um, and so we have these diverse views in, in Hong Kong. And I like that they are talking points. I mean, they're very mm. much talking points, mm. no matter mm. what you think of them, right? Mm. And, um, and, and, and that's, that's one way of justifying their existence. I mean, personally, the use of plastic <laughs> aside, um, I find them also a potent symbol of cultural hegemony and mm. globalization. Mm-hmm. I mean, thinking back, mm. for people of my generation, I'm in my uh, late 40s, um, the rubber duck, was it was never a universal symbol of childhood innocence growing up. Mm. Um, it's not a, you know, in, in, in China, even in a British colony um, like Hong Kong, it wasn't something that all kids were given, right? My, my, my first contact with um, the rubber duck was, I'm pretty sure, like most people of my generation, through, was through that most American of children's television, Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's my view on the ducks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd yeah. love to hear yeah. uh, the views of your listeners. R- yeah, I mean, I mean the yellow rubber ducks is something that's uh, given to kids to play with in the bath, isn't it? <laughs> Um, yeah, but, but, I but mean, it seems slightly a odd for of, Hong Kong, where, where most people take a shower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I actually, and yet, yeah, we all, all know what it means. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I will kind of like this as the installation into the um, like harbor now, Victoria Harbor soon. And actually, do you think actually the government or some association company will uh, like? can help with like organize more this kind of activities or campaign in the future in Hong Kong? I think there will be. Mm. I think there will definitely be more of these because they are, um, I suppose, seem to be, like you said, they're, 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 they're symbols of happiness and, um, and pos- positive thinking perhaps, <laughs> yeah. um, that, um, that um, perhaps Hong Kong needs a dose of and also in general i mean globally um there has been a rise in demand or at least a growing appetite among grown-ups for mm. cartoon characters if you look at the art auction market i mean the artists i mentioned earlier cause yeah, um, who made the sort of the the the, the, the mickey mouse like mm. creatures i mean they sell for millions in auctions and um and there's been uh, growing demand as well for paintings um, that feature cartoony characters. I mean, see, you can you can you can look at the ascent of a British artist who calls himself Mr. Dudo. So there's a, I suppose, a, an argument that because there's so many big problems in the world right now, um, people crave escapism, and also wealth is has been transferred to into younger hands so the wealthy in general um are becoming younger mm. and um and we've seen, certainly seen that at work in the auctions market okay and okay. they buy a lot of these you know yeah. n- naive uh, harmless mm. or some would say childish art Enid, I'm going to have to stop you there. Thanks very much for speaking to us on this morning's programme. Almost out of time. That's uh, Enid Choi, arts editor of the South China Morning Post. Uh, Thanks to our listeners. uh, Thanks to our co-host, Kaha. Thank you. And to our producer, Raphael. Stay with us. We've got new summary coming up, followed by The Brunch.